worship with a reading. This is from Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Uh, I think something's going on here today. I sense that uh, I've been set up. We did two worship songs this morning. We usually do four or five or something. I think, I think Chris is telling me, Gary, you're very long-winded, so we're going to give you some, some extra time, you know, to share this morning. But it's, it's all good. It's all good. Uh, I got to tell y'all, every time that I'm given the privilege and the honor to share, it, I, most of my messages through my quiet time and stuff is, you know, and I'm taking notes, and when I'm asked, can you share, I just take one of the topics that I've taken notes on and try to develop it and expand it. But it's, I would say 100% of the time, it's because it's something that I'm not quite comfortable with. It's a question that I have. You know, am I doing everything I can, you know, to, to really be, you know, who God has called me to be? And so today, my message is titled, So You Want to Be a Disciple? It's kind of like a rhetorical question, but that's the, the title of my message, So You Want to Be a Disciple. And I got to tell you, as I prepared for this message, my answer was, I'm not so sure, you know, just being, you know, totally transparent. You know, after you study and read some of the things, you're like, hmm, do I really want to be a disciple? So that's what I'm going to present to you today. Uh, hopefully, you'll uh, get uh, as much meaning from it, you know, as I did. And the point is, you know, wherever you are in your Christian walk, or perhaps even if you're, you know, you haven't made that commitment to Christ yet, the whole point of this is whatever you pursue in life, whatever you, you know, you decide to follow, there's going to be a cost for it. Okay, nothing's going to come easy. My mother used to tell me, like, anything worth having is worth uh, working hard for, you know. So there are going to be some struggles and some challenges along the way. So before I start, let's just uh, have a word of prayer. Father God, I just ask that you would just unplug ears, Father, and unburden hearts this morning. Father, to receive the word that you've given to me, Lord. Father, this is not about me. This is all about you and your kingdom, Lord. And I just pray that... Something that is said here, Father, maybe even in a worship song or even in a greeting this morning, Father, would bring your children a step closer to uh, communing with you, Father, and to living for you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to start with defining what a disciple is. Uh, you know, very generically, you know, when we think of disciples, we think of you know, a follower. I think it's a, it's a little bit more than that. So in the New Testament world, a disciple would join themselves to a rabbi or to a teacher, and they would become part of his school, okay? Uh, this involved leaving behind, you know, the life that they had, wherever they were, and, um, and spending all their time with the rabbi. In a sense, it was like going, going off to college, you know, to be an apprentice you know, under the rabbi. 
And what you see in Jesus and his disciples was a, a typical rabbi-disciple relationship back in the day, in the, in the day of uh, New Testament Judea. So being a disciple was a full-time occupation. Okay, it wasn't, you know, something that, uh, you know, yeah, I'll follow Jesus or I'll follow, you know, whoever the rabbi is and I'll just do it on Sunday mornings or I'll just do it on Wednesday evenings or perhaps on, you know, Thursdays when I go to celebrate recovery. You know, it was a full-time, a full-time occupation. So the disciples were called to leave home and occupation behind and to follow Jesus. And they, they were called to learn what, whatever it was that he had to teach them. So, but being a disciple was not uh, an end in itself. It was, you know, a disciple was ultimately expected to follow in the rabbi's footsteps and become a rabbi themselves. So in turn, they had to teach other disciples what they had learned and were learning. So that's a whole lot right there. So I ask again, so you want to be a disciple? of Jesus. And again, my answer was, uh, I'm not so sure. So let me tell you where I found myself, you know, in answering that question. I kind of liken this to fans and players. I think it's easy to be a fan, a lot harder to be a, a player. Um, a fan is what you would, you would say is best illustrated by, if I could make the analogy, if you were a fan of a sports team, okay? You sit on the sideline, you cheer on your team, you may invest some time learning about the players, you know, schedule, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Um, you may even purchase some, you know, equipment. You know, I can tell you, you know, my hat here, my wife gave me this for Father's Day. A couple of hats says, man of faith, I love Jesus. So this hat might represent that I'm a fan of Jesus. Doesn't mean that I'm a disciple of Jesus, just means that I'm a fan of Jesus. Okay, so we might have some paraphernalia, you know, I know there's some, you know, I know Jay's a big Cincinnati Bengals fan, you know, he's probably got some paraphernalia. So that's what a fan is. But what a fan does, they watch the performance from the stand, they might watch it on TV, they might go to a game, they, you know, they don't get directly involved. You know, they, you know, if their team disappoints them, you know, they may even, you know, switch their allegiance and say, oh, you know, I'm not a Falcon fan anymore, I'm going to root for the Saints. Okay. Uh, oh, that, that, that was all, that was out of pocket. Was that out of pocket? <laughs> my bad, my bad. Okay. So a fan may, may even know a lot of things uh, about the team members. They might rattle off statistics, you know, and that kind of stuff. They have detailed opinions, you know, about the strengths and the weaknesses of the team. And they might even enjoy, you know, discussing stuff about the team. But a player on that team is a little more invested. A player on that team is a little more invested. You know, the, the team and the game are pretty much their life. There's a commitment there. You know, they spend time conditioning. They learn the playbook. They got to practice. They got to, you know, really invest themselves, you know, in the team. And then on game day, they got to go out there and they got to perform. They got to execute the plays. They got to listen to the coach. So it's a lot, you know, deeper involvement than being a fan. So I hope in that analogy, you can see the difference between a fan and a, you know, and a player or, you know, a fan and a disciple, you know, in the context that we're talking about it today. And just quite honestly, just 
kind of evaluating myself, I found myself being a fan of Jesus a lot of times in my life. Even though, you know, I'm a believer, you know, I, I try to, you know, I, I love God. I want to, you know, I want to please God. I want to work for God. But if I'm just being honest, in my day-to-day -day life, despite my routines, and I got some very good spiritual habits, okay, despite all of that, you know, when I was doing this message, I'm like, Gary, are you really a disciple or are you a fan? And regrettably, I got to say a lot of times, you know, you know, I can point to like, yeah, I was a disciple on that day. Oh, you know what? That day I was really a disciple. But discipleship is not, you know, for a point in time. It's a lifestyle. It's an everyday thing. So, you know, regrettably, you know, and maybe Scott and Chris want to tell me right now, well, Gary, you know, cut the mic off. You're only a fan. You're not even <laughs> equipped. <laughs> You're not even equipped, you know, to share, you know, with, with, with the godly people, you know, that are sitting in the pews here. And, you know, I mean, if you guys want to say that, I'll, I'll just gladly step off and Chris can come and talk about the Holy Spirit again. Um, but that's just being, being honest. So every follower of Jesus Christ, if you have made a decision in your life at some point in time to follow Jesus Christ, you have made a commitment to be a disciple. So what is being a disciple? So we know in the Bible that Jesus called 12 men to follow him and be his disciples. So unlike fans, these men were not just cheering Jesus on and looking at the work that he did. You know, these men left behind their nets, their tax collecting booths, you know, and whatever else that they had been doing, you know, to get involved in the game to get involved in the game. They were going to follow Jesus wherever he went, and they were going to learn everything he had to teach them. Okay, so, and in the end, he told them that not only do you have to follow me and you have to do, you know, learn my teachings and all of that, when all this is said and done, what else do you have to do? You got to go out and make other disciples. You have to do to other people, for other people, what I have done for you. And in essence, that's why we're all here, right? I mean, let's be honest. If it wasn't for the 12 disciples, right, and those guys spreading the word, you know, to all ends of the earth, would we have even heard the, heard the good news, heard the message to be able to have this chance, you know, to, um, you know, to, to, to live a life, you know, uh, uh, with Jesus? Uh, probably not. Um, the specific calling to travel with Jesus um, and, and, and established, their specific calling was to travel with Jesus and to establish the church, um, you know, in his name and to carry on everything that he had done. Um, so the last thing he told them in the Great Commission, you know, he said you're to go out and make disciples of all nations. So I'm going to look at what Ben read. We're going to look at that focus scripture, and there's some more to it. But I want to give a little background on Jesus's life. Because as I was reading through the book of Matthew, it was, it's just amazing. I mean, from his birth to his ministry and to when he first called the disciples and then and beyond. So just to summarize, you know, Matthew 1 talks about the genealogy of Jesus. Talks about how Jesus is a descendant of Abraham. It goes from Abraham, you know, to David. There are 14 generations from Abraham to David. There are another 14 from David to Jeconiah. Jeconiah. And then there's another 14 from uh, Jeconiah to Joseph, the husband of Mary, who's, who was uh, Jesus' dad. 
in Matthew 2, we, we learn about where Jesus was born and how the magi or the wise men followed the star, you know, to go and find him. And anybody remember how many wise men there were or how many magi? That's a trick question, by the way. Excuse me? Okay, good, good. Well, you know, I always grew up thinking there were three. You know, they brought Franklin and Murray, and, you know, so there are three, right? You know, because we couldn't have ten people bringing only three things, right? Or maybe even two people bringing three things. Um, but anyway, uh, if you remember, uh, Herod, Herod, King Herod had sent the Magi out when he heard of Jesus' birth and said, go find this kid, you know, bring him, you know, and report back to me. But when the Magi did find Jesus um, and they gave him the gifts, uh, a uh, spirit came to them in a dream and said, no, don't go back to Herod, you know, go elsewhere. And so they did. Joseph had a dream. Jesus, you know, moved Jesus, you know, to Egypt um, because, you know, Herod, knowing that he had been kind of fooled by the Magi, you know, wanted all the kids, you know, killed. So um, after Herod's death, Joseph settles with Jesus in Nazareth. And all this stuff I'm telling you is fulfilling scripture that was uh, prophesied in the Old Testament. Matthew 3 is where John baptizes uh, um, uh, Jesus, you know. And if you remember, you know, after he had baptized Jesus, God said, this is my son uh, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now, in Matthew 4, this is where Jesus is going to call his first disciples. But what happened in Matthew 4, early on in Matthew 4? Jesus goes, he's in the wilderness, he's fasted for 40 days, 40 nights, he's hungry, and the devil tests, uh, tests Jesus, you know. And one of the things he said, turn stones to bread, and Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. And the final one, you know, the devil says, you know, look here, I'll give you everything, you know, over here if you would just um, worship me. And Jesus says, away from me, Satan, you know, it is written to worship the Lord your God and to serve him only. Right after that, Jesus uh, starts his teaching ministry, and the whole premise of his teaching ministry was to repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. At this point, the scripture that was read up, and we can put that back up there again, uh, Matthew 4, 18. This is where Jesus called his first disciples. And I'm going to read this again because I want to point out a couple of things. So as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Okay, at once they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. So I got to ask you, a couple of things, you know, kind of struck me here. So Peter, you know, Andrew, you know, Jesus says, yeah, come follow me. They drop everything and just go. Well, were these guys married? Did they have family? They, you know, I mean, for me, if somebody said, come follow me, the first thing I'm going to do is go ask my wife, hold up. You know, I got to go talk to the, I got to go talk to the missus. Can I go? You know, whatever. No sign of that in here. They just dropped it, you know, and went. And I don't know if you guys know this, but Peter was married. That's the one that I did find some evidence because later in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus actually went and healed uh, Peter's mother-in-law. You guys remember that? Well, you can read it. Yeah, he healed. So that tells me that Peter was married. But now, did Peter go and ask his wife, can I follow Jesus? No evidence here. They just said, Jesus said, come follow me. And Peter was on board. I think that's amazing. You know, like, wow. I mean, any men in here dare do that without checking with their wife? 
Uh, yeah, yeah, I got you, Rusty. I got you. You know, you, you wouldn't be married for very long, Rusty. I will tell you that. Uh, so, and then you got, you got, uh, uh, you got James, you know, and, and, and John, and they, you know, they left their father, you know, right at the call of Jesus. They just left their father, you know, and went to, uh, to follow Jesus. In Matthew 5, Jesus, so he has, you know, these four guys, right? The, the other eight, we don't know about yet, right? But if you look at this, in Matthew 5, Jesus starts his teaching ministry. He's doing a, a bunch of amazing stuff, right? He talks about salt and light. He talks about the fulfillment of the word. He talks about, you know, rules on murder, on divorce, on keeping your word and turning the other cheek, giving to the needy, prayer, fasting, treasures in heaven. He talks about worrying. Don't worry, he talks about not judging others and ask, seek, and knock. And, you know, he talks about the narrow and the wide gates. And he's just dropping all kinds of knowledge and, and, and truth, you know, on, on everybody, okay? Um, talking about parables left and right. He's healing folks. He's just doing a bunch of miraculous stuff. So, of course, his, you know, his four, you know, disciples, the ones that we know of so far, they hear all of this. They see all of this. And in my opinion, that's giving them a lot of confidence. Like, yeah, this, this guy's a real deal. You know, he ain't no joke. You know, I made the great decision, you know, to follow this guy. No wonder I didn't talk to my wife and I just left my dad or whatever. You know, this guy's a real deal. There's some good stuff going on here. And then we find out in Matthew chapter 10, we, the other disciples, you know, are called. And if you would put this up, uh, Matthew 10, 1, 4, I think we have that uh, uh, scripture. It says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. So I ask you, do you want to be a disciple? I'm on board. You, you want me to follow you? I've seen you do all these miracles. I've seen you do miraculous stuff. You're healing people. You're casting out demons, you know, and you want me to do the same thing? I'm down. I'm in. You know, let's roll, let's roll. Okay, so these are the names of the 12 disciples. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Then there's Philip and Bartholomew. There's Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now, I'm going to assume that through, you know, uh, Matthew chapter 5 and 10, before they named these 12 disciples, that all the teachings and, and miracles and all of the things that Jesus was doing, it wasn't just for, you know, the four disciples that, that he called in Matthew 4. I'm going to assume that these guys were part of the crowd too, okay? That all these other guys were part of the crowd. They saw some of the healing. They saw some of the miracles. So it's really kind of a low-risk move at this point, you know? This guy has proved himself to be something that we've never seen before. So yeah, you know, I'm going to follow this guy. And then he sends them out with the following instructions. He says, do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have, you have received, freely give. So you still want to be a disciple? I'm still on board. I mean, there's nothing in that, you know, directive there that I'm not on board with. You're telling me I can go out and heal people? 
you know, that I've been given a lot so I can, you know, I can give a lot. You're telling me that I can uh, raise people from the dead. I can cleanse those who have leprosy. I mean, I'm down. I'm really down because I want to go around the people and say, like, Doug, you know, you got leprosy. Bam, be healed. You know, and what? Probably bringing a lot of glory to myself, right? So, look, I'm all in the game. I'm fully invested. You know, this discipleship thing, no big deal. You know, there's a lot of, lot of reward. I don't see any cost in this. I'm one of the 12. I'm with it. I just got to tell you, I'm with it. So he goes on. He says, do not, do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the, journey, for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. I'm still in, fully invested. You know, I hit a town, you know, oh, you're a worthy person, accommodate me. You know, I'm good, okay? As you enter their home, you know, give it your greeting. I come in. Blessings on your house, whoever you are, okay? If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return. You know, if you treat me right, we good, all right? If you didn't treat me right, you know, you like, you know, I'm out. You know, I just keep my peace to myself, okay? If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. You know, let's shake it off. You know, these people, they, they, they ain't want to hear the word. They ain't down with me. It's okay. You know, look, this discipleship thing is awesome. You know, like, Jesus, I'm with you. I'm with you. I don't have a problem. I really don't have a problem, you know. He says, truly I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. So if I go into town and I try to spread the good news and they reject me, shake the dust off my feet, no biggie, I roll on, and we're good. You know what? That's your loss, you know. And how do I know it's your loss? Because, hey, the Lord, the Lord said, I've seen this guy do a bunch of, you know, miraculous things. And now, you know, it starts getting a little dicey. Okay. In verse 16, he says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. What? Hold up. That ain't, that ain't part of the deal, is it? You sending me out sheep among wolves? No, nah, that, that's a little risk there, Jesus. You know, come on, you need to back off. We all good up until this point. But now you're starting to, you know, you're starting to say some things I'm not so comfortable with. You know, therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Huh? What, what, what does that mean? Jesus, I'm not so sure. You know, come on, give me a little more. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local consuls uh, and be flogged in the synagogues. See, now you're pushing it. You know, now, <laughs> now this disciple thing, it ain't, it ain't so pretty. What, what are you doing? You know, what just happened to healing folks, you know, and, and going in towns and, and, you know, if they don't want to hear it, you know, I just roll out, you know, and then there's no risk. I mean, you're telling me I'm going to be, I'm going to be beaten in the synagogues and, and I'm supposed to be down with that? Okay, he goes on. He says, on my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At the time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. All right, now, I, I got some decisions to make here because I'm not so sure, Jesus. Yeah, you healed people, you casting out demons and all of that, but why can't I just follow you? Why can't I just be your disciple, you know, without all this other stuff? Why? 
You know, why do I have to, you know, why does this have to be a cost, you know, for me to follow you? Why can't I just, you know, it was all good and now you're trying to mess it up. Don't mess it up. He says, you know, brother will be brother will betray brother to death and the father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. See, Jesus, you, you, you tripping now. You straight tripping now. I'm serious. You know, I mean, I'm going to be hated by everyone, you know, and, and all of this stuff. Um, I'm not so sure that I'm, I want to be in the game. Maybe I just want to uh, uh, stay a fan. Uh, when you are persecuted, when you are persecuted, not if, when, I mean, it's coming, you know, Jesus knows everything, he's done all these miracles, he's not, you know, when he says it, it's going to happen. When you're persecuted in, uh, in one place, flee to another, meaning you're going to be persecuted in multiple places, right? Okay? Uh, truly, I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man's come. I'm like... All right, at this point now in my study, I'm like, Jesus, are you for real? Am I really supposed to be okay with all of this stuff? I mean, you, you can't be serious. There's no way. I mean, I thought you were calling me to do something. You know, you're inviting me to do something, right? This is not a way to invite somebody to do it. You know, you, you don't, you know, it's almost like, you know, who wants to go through pain and persecution, you know, and be ostracized? But I mean, nobody wants that. Jesus, why are you inviting me? This ain't no invitation no more. You know, you're trying to send me out the church, you know, out of your little, your, your little group. You know, he says, anyone who loves the father, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. What? What? I can't, my dad, my mom, people that raised me, I, I have to love you more than I love them. And if not, I'm not worthy of you. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find us. At this point, I'm like, Jesus, I'm out. I mean, I'm just being real. I'm out, you know, a little too much. I mean, I don't know about you, you know, y'all probably jumping for joy and all this, no problem. I can do this, you know. Uh, you know, that's not a problem. This is Jesus. You know, this man, you know, he, you know he, he's going to do everything. He's done everything. I've seen him, you know, all these miracles. So I don't have a problem with that. Well, maybe I'm just a little different. I think this is like some crazy, crazy, crazy stuff. And I was trying to think like in our human, you know, existence, what, what can I liken this to? And the only thing I could think of is like, you know, uh, say a, a relationship, like a marital relationship, so to speak. And, you know, how it evolved from when you guys met, you know, to where it is today. So I'm going to give you a little insight into how my marital relationship started. You know, I saw this beautiful woman. My game was tight. I was dropping lyrics left and right. She, <laughs> she, 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 couldn't, she couldn't resist it, you know. I mean, I, my game was on. I was on top of my game. You know, I'm going to give you the world. I'm going to work hard. Whatever you need, you're my queen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it all to you. And she fell for it. I mean, big time. She fell for it. She, yeah. That's, that's why I'm talking. That's why I'm talking. <laughs> Nearly, you know, and, and look, and she's still, she's still sticking with me. I can't say that I did all that stuff, right, that I promised, you know, or not yet anyways. But she's still sticking with me. But if I had to come to her and I said, I'll give you all of that, you know, and... You know, but there are going to be times when, 
you know, I'm going to disagree with you, and you're going to think that I'm the dumbest person on earth, and you're not going to understand, you're not even going to understand the sight of me. And this is before we got married. If I'd have told her that, maybe she, maybe all them lyrics I was dropping, you know, my rap game was kind of tight. She'd be like, eh, not so sure. If I'd have told her, what about if I had told her, you know what, and we're going to have kids, but... Before you can have those kids, you're going to go through like this excruciating pain of childbearing. She's going to hate that I'm saying this because she constantly tells me, you know, one of the things that you'll never, ever understand is what it feels like to have a kid, you know. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you're, 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 you're right. I, I can't. I can't, you know. And uh, a quick little story, when she was pregnant with our first kid, she gets up in the middle of the night and says, like, I feel like some caffeine-free Diet Coke. I'm like, what? I'm like, see, now you're doing this pregnant woman thing, thinking that you're supposed to have these weird cravings and stuff, so you're just like falling in line with it. I'm like, you ain't getting no caffeine-free Diet Coke. <laughs> oh, oh, really? Well, guess what? Probably 15 minutes later, I was on my way to the store, <laughs> and I got four two-liter bottles of caffeine-free Diet Coke, and I brought it home, and I said, this is for tonight, and any other time you have this craving, we're gonna have plenty of more of this, okay? So the thing is, if there, there were going to be some challenges and some pain, you know, in this relationship that she probably is still going through, okay, uh, but she's going to have to go through or is still going through, that if I had tried to sell that to her at the time, probably she would have been like, I'm not so sure I want to sign up for this. I'm not so sure. Maybe, you know, I like all the, you know, the queen talk you were talking about and all the, you know, how you'll give me everything, you know, and you'll always love me and be there for me and protect me. All of that is good. But now you're telling me I got to go through pain. Now I ask you to do stuff. You don't want to do it, you know, and I'm not so sure I want to sign up for that. Because the truth is, anything that we get involved in, we want it to be smooth sailing. We want it to be perfect. But again, and hopefully, big risk I'm taking here, hopefully, despite everything that I've put that woman through, hopefully today she's probably saying, you know, I'm really glad I made that decision. So, Shufan, when you listen to this message, answer that question for me, okay? <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, crazy stuff, but this is what we find, this is where we find ourselves when we are faced with the challenge, you know, of, of following Jesus. So let's look at how the disciples were called, right? So when they were first called, you know, whether it was, you know, uh, uh, James and John, Andrew, Peter, you know, or the rest of them, they had a choice to make. They were called. Jesus extended an invitation, you know, come follow me. You know, this is, you know, what I want you to do. These are, you know, uh, how I want you to live, okay? As we saw, you know, with the first four, they jumped right away. Others may be convinced over time. I would submit to you that the other eight were probably convinced over time, having seen many other miracles, you know, that Jesus had done. It wasn't just come follow me, boom, I'm in. It was, you know, the other ones, at least according to the text, you know, is, you know, maybe they needed to see some more. My question to you is, you know, what are you being called to do in life today? All right? When they were called, they were faced with a choice. So they can either roll with Jesus or they can say no. The one thing I'll tell you that if you do, when you're presented with that choice, when you're called and you're presented with that choice, you can go left, you can go right, you can say yes, you can say no. But if you say yes, you have to commit yourself to it. One thing I think is, is 
vastly missing from our society today is the value of commitment. Commitment, I mean, what is that, really? You know, and I'm not just talking about society at large. I'm even talking about Christian folks, you know. That's me and you. You know, divorce rate, you, you really can't even, you know, separate the divorce rate among Christians from, you know, non-believers. You know, if you listen to the news, if you see, you know, the, the, you know, the evangelicals, can you tell by the way they live that they're any different than anybody, you know, who doesn't profess to be a Christian? So if you uh, make the choice, you have to be committed. What, what is commitment? Uh, to commit is to bind or obligate yourself by pledge or assurance to devote or engage oneself to a person or a thing. What Jesus was telling the disciples and all that stuff, you know, the good and the bad, and that's what it was. You'll be able to, you know, cast out demons, heal people. You'll be able to do all these good things, but there's a cost. So through the good and the bad, what Jesus is telling you, if you do this, when I call you, you got to be committed because it ain't going to be easy, you know. So when you commit to something or to someone, you are sacrificing something. You got to give up something. You got to give up something. Maybe it's time, it's effort. Maybe it's uh, material things. Maybe it's your independence, men and women, right? You know, we got married, right? You are no longer the same person. You know, all that stuff you used to do, you know, me playing basketball five nights a week, out the window. Out the window. And, you know, a co-worker told me, say, oh, Gary, it was nice playing on the softball company team with you, but I guess we won't be seeing you. I say, why not? Well, you're getting married. So what? <laughs> What's that got to do with anything? My wife knows. She knows what I do. You know, it's going to be no problem. You know, six months later, he looked at me and smiled. <laughs> he said, where, where you been, Gary? Said, hey, you're right, man. You're right. You're right. You know, I, I, I thought there I should have listened to you, you know. But through that, you know, through whatever you have to give up, okay, there's a reward on the, on the other side, okay? Uh, reward, fulfillment treasures, maybe a life partner, a spiritual helper, some kind of good is going to come out of that commitment. But here's the thing. The good doesn't necessarily have to be for you. It may be for you. It may be for you and others, or it may be for you or others. But that's what, that's what the commitment is going to happen. So commitment to anything is not a cakewalk, because there are going to be times when you want to walk away. When you question, you know, why you even started down this path, you know, you know, is it worth it? You know, many of you know, a couple of you, not many of you, you know, we started Alpha maybe three weeks ago in the middle of me committing to my workout buddies that I'm not going to have any dessert for the month of May. <laughs> and I got to tell you, the first Alpha we came here, the first question I asked, now, why did I make that commitment? I mean, I got ice cream, I got all this stuff, you know, in, in front of me, and I'm like, you know, and truth be told, I wanted to walk away, you know, but hey, you know, I'm a Christian guy, the Bible says, let your yay be yay and your nay be nay, so I'm like, I, I can't do it, you know, but I mean, luckily for me, through struggles, you know, I, I stuck with it, but that's just kind of like a little, you know, one-off example, but you know, commitment means something. There are going to be challenges. There's going to be times when you want to walk away. There are going to be many crossroads. And each time, you have to choose which way to go. Am I going to stick with it? Or am I going to, you know, break camp? Or am I I'm going to bounce? Okay? So, how do you stick with it? 
So you're, you're called, you have a choice. If you say yes, it needs to be more than just a flippant yes. It needs to be a commitment. That commitment's going to cost you something. But how do you act out? How do you walk out that commitment? And I'm going to tell you, if it were left to me walking it out in my own strength, I just don't think we can do it. In fact, I'll tell you based on Scripture how Jesus didn't even believe that the disciples could do it on their own. So how do you walk it out? You got to have the courage to do it. You got to have courage. And what is courage? Courage is the quality of mind or spirit that enables a person to face difficulty, danger, pain without fear. Courage is synonymous with, with bravery. What you have to keep in mind is whatever you committed to, the reason you committed to it in the first place probably still exists. And if it does still exist, that you saw something worthwhile, something legitimate in making that commitment that drew you into that commitment. So you need to ask yourself, does it still exist? And can you still see those benefits and those rewards? And I think we all would say yes. You know, in a marital relationship, yeah, you're going to have ups and downs. You're going to have fights. You're going to disagree, right? But there was something, you know, that drew you to that person. Are those qualities still there? Most likely, yeah. Oh, you've learned more about them. But the, the root, the stuff that attracted you to them, you know, that had you guys, you know, that brought you guys together, most likely is still there. Is it still worth fighting for? Okay. In the case of the disciples, amidst all the danger that Jesus told them was coming, they, they saw and, and had experienced an unusual man who did things beyond their wildest imagination. So their commitment was unwavering. And all besides, I mean, so much so that all besides John, if I'm not mistaken, died like a, you know, a terrible death, you know. However, having seen, having seen and walked with Jesus, having seen Jesus walk on water, you know, having seen all these prophecies, you know, fulfilled, having encountered him as a resurrected Savior, okay, um, having seen him raise people from the dead, and having seen that Jesus was raised for the, from the dead, they were like, yeah, I think, I, think it's, I think it's worth it, despite, despite everything that, you know, that I, that I may go through. And rest assured, he was, they were going to go through stuff because Jesus said it, because Jesus said it. So what does a disciple look like? What does a disciple look like? Assuming, you know, everything I said so far, everybody is still with me, and, you know, they answer the, you know, maybe you've answered the question, so you want to be a disciple. I haven't seen anybody walk out yet, so I'm going to assume you still want to be a disciple, you know, or maybe not still, maybe you just want to be a disciple. Now, this is probably not the most convincing message to say, yeah, I'm on board, but, you know, <laughs> I know we're in church, but, you know, it's good that we talk about it, right? Let's know. Jesus, one thing Jesus didn't do, he didn't do, you know, he didn't give you this whole bait and switch. You know, he didn't say like, oh, you know, come follow me. It's going to be all good. And then once you get in the game, he says like, ah, now that I got you in the game, guess what? Now, a lot of us have had the bait and switch in life, you know, for sales. I mean, some of y'all married right now probably thinking like, yeah, I got, I'm on the bait and switch, you know, but uh, ho hopefully not, <laughs> hopefully not, you know. But what does being a disciple look like? So a disciple's first priority is following Jesus. And I hope you've seen that, you know, when you got, you know, Peter not asking his wife, you got, you know, uh, uh, James and John just, you know, say, Dad, 
deuces, I'm out. I'm going with this guy. You know, the first priority is following Jesus. Everything else is secondary. If Jesus tells them to go, they go. If Jesus tells them to stay, they stay. Uh, they may be like Paul, traveling the world and sharing the good news uh, all over the place. Or more likely, they may be like Aquila and Priscilla, you know, who were tent makers and who served in a local church. The disciples will, you know, run the whole gamut. You know, you may be called by Jesus to do one thing. I may be called to do another thing. And somebody else may be called to do another thing. The important thing is, what are you called to do? Are you willing to commit? And do you have the courage to walk it out? Regardless of where Jesus leads, the disciples will be spending time with Jesus. So this is what, what a disciple looks like. You have to spend time with Jesus, the teacher, because the only way you're going to know everything that you're to do is to spend time with Jesus. And in our world today, you know, that's through prayer, spending time in Scripture, you know. And, yeah, that's a cost, you know. You need to invest some time in that. But that's the only way that you're going to be able to, uh, to, to walk this walk, you know. Um, so regardless of where Jesus leads, you need to spend time with Jesus. Um, you, you, you need to be, you may be serving, you know, like Martha, um, any number of things, okay? Uh, sitting at Jesus' feet today generally involves time spent in Scripture. Now, I don't know how many of you spend time in Scripture. I'm not boasting, I do. Many years ago, thanks to Pastor Scott, did a message at the old uh, Cedars Road location. It's, it popped in my head just like, I mean, I'll never forget this. He did a message on spending time with Jesus, and he had a little Bible reading thing and passed it out at church and said, you know, start reading your Bible. And that's where I established a quiet time. And it's probably been, you know, definitely over 20 years. It's a part of who I am now. First thing I do in the morning before I leave the house, I spend time with Jesus, you know, start my day. So thank you, Pastor Scott. I was listening at least one day, you know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we have to spend time in Scripture. Uh, time is, can be spent reading, reflecting on what the Scripture is saying, and then making it a part of your life. Um, it is allowing Scripture under the direction of the Holy Spirit to shape how we think and what we do. So being a disciple, as I said earlier, is not a part-time job or activity. You know, it's being with Jesus full-time, 24-7. That's driving in the car to work. You know, that's at work. It's recognizing the presence of Jesus. Um, quick little other story, you know, got a new job in the last three months. I haven't worked uh, in an office for seven, eight years. I've been remote. Well, this job wants me to go in three times a week. And, yeah, I complained a lot, okay? I got to go all the way to Sandy Springs, you know, traffic, hour and a half, hour 45. I'm like, why am I doing this, you know? And so I just complained and complained. But one thing I found now, like, wow. You know, there I can listen to sermons. You know, I can listen to... So now it's not, you know, I get to work and I'm like, oh, I'm here already, you know, because I'm really, you know, into the message. So we can always find time, you know, to spend with Jesus, you know, even when we're stubborn and mad when God has blessed us with something, okay? All right. <laughs> so, so being a disciple is not a part-time job or activity. You know, it's full-time, 24-7. Uh, going back to fandom, you know, in fanhood, you know, a fan might choose not to go to the game, go to the game, you know, whatever. You know, they might feel like doing something else or whatever. We don't have that choice if you've chosen to be a disciple and you've made that commitment. 
okay? So it's not just on Sunday mornings, and it's not just, you know, at other specific times in the day. It's all day, every day. I don't care if you're male or female, rich or poor, a preacher, you know, a scientist, raising children, whatever it is, you know, you might have a variety of different skin tones, you know, different ethnicities, you know, whatever, however you grew up. If you decide to be a disciple, you know, the, you, you have to make that commitment and you have to have the courage, you know, to walk it out. We should never be satisfied with anything less than being a disciple, following Jesus, learning from him, and in turn, turning others to be disciples. I'm going to close with one last verse, okay? One last verse, John 16, 7 to 11. And I'm going to read it and then I have some thoughts on it. It says, but very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. This is Jesus talking to his disciples, by the way. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. So here are my thoughts on it. If you look at this contextually, the utterance of these words in these verses came in the midst of Jesus' last discourse um, with his disciples before his betrayal in the book of John. So he had taught them many great truths and relate, you know, that related to his kingdom, um, but this was the last fundamental truth concerning the presence and work of the Holy Spirit that was to be the principle that would enable them to persevere, the key that would enable them to understand and apply everything else that he had taught them. The practical work of all his other teachings would depend upon the clarity with which he stated this last principle. The school was in its last session, so to speak, before the great crisis. And the time was ripe in the experience of all the disciples for this lesson that was essential to their understanding of the kingdom of Christ and to their preparation for the work that they had to do in the establishment of that kingdom. But what I want you to do right now is to try to, let's try to reconstruct in our thinking the conditions under which the disciples heard this message, because I think it's very, very uh, uh, pertinent to what we're trying to, to, what we're talking about. So you got to appreciate, you know, the difficulty they must have had in listening to what, what Jesus had just told them. Because, you see, Jesus had taught them to depend on him for everything, right? That was their walk with him. You know, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You can't come to the Father but through me. You know, faith, you know, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can move mountains. Everything, you know, Jesus was telling them is like, yeah, you got to, you know, you got to depend on me for everything, you know, because this is who I am. This is what I can do. So their hopes for the redemption of Israel were centered in Jesus. In his presence, they were emboldened to plan and expect great things. But now Jesus is telling them, that he's got to leave them. All of that, and Jesus is telling them, they, you know, he has to leave them, that they will be, and, but here's the thing, that they will be able to, to, to do more of these world-transforming things in his absence than they were able to do in his presence. That's deep. I mean, you've seen him do a, a bunch of miraculous things, but he's telling you, look, I got to go because I got to go be with the Father. But, 
what you'll be able to do when I'm gone is going to be even greater than things you did when I was here. I mean, that doesn't, that doesn't even make sense to me, you know. So I can appreciate where the disciples were, you know. So they are to change the world, but the world will persecute them with religious fanaticism. And now, in order to enable them to gain victory over the world, he's got to leave them. But the good news, as it is with me and you, is he didn't leave them alone. Jesus said, I'm going. I got to leave you. I got to return to the Father. But what did he leave them with? He left them with the Holy Spirit. And the, he said that the Holy Spirit will enable them to do these things and more. And that's, that's our promise as well. That's the promise that Jesus is making to us as well. Like, yeah, you're going to be persecuted. Yeah, there are going to be hard times. There's going to be, you know, times where, you know, you got to sacrifice something. But it's worth it. And I need you to have the courage to do it. But I'm not going to say have that courage in and of your own strength. Rely on the Holy Spirit. I've left you with the Holy Spirit so that he can encourage you, so that he can walk with you. You know, he can give you the courage to walk through all the difficult times so that each and every one of us can receive the reward that is awaiting for us at the end and experience the reward that, is, that, that, we, that we can uh, have right here in the present time as we continue to walk the face of the earth. Are y'all hearing me? Y'all down for that walk? So you want to be a disciple? All right, well, Chris is going to come up and do communion. Before he does, I'm going to pray with you. So thank you very much. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that when Jesus graced us with his presence on earth, Father, and in his short ministry, Lord, that all the miraculous signs and all the great knowledge that he dropped on us, Father, it was in your will, Father, that he would return to you, Father. But we thank you that he did not leave us alone. Father, we thank you that we have, Father, a choice to follow you. We pray, Father, and I pray, Father, that each and every person in the sound of my voice, Father, will make the choice to follow you, Father, and make the commitment, Father, to walk with you for the rest of their life. Father God, give them the strength, Father. Give us the strength, Father, to each and every day, Father, not just be fans of Jesus, Father, but to be on his team, Father, and to, to, to do his work, Father to do the work that he left us to do, Father, not least of which was to go out among all nations and make other disciples, Father, to spread the good news, Father. Father, be it that in you know, our day-to-day -day activity at work and loving on people, or be it, Father, as missionaries and literally spreading the gospel, Father, and teaching people about your word. Father, we all have a role to play in building your kingdom. So, Lord, we just say, Holy Spirit, come. Take command of our life, Lord. Consume us, Lord. And help us to fight the good fight and run the race until it is finished. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.